Hey folks, you guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion, it's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com haunted. That's masterclass.com haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com slash haunted. I'll see you there. Welcome, friends. Today, we are going to embark on a journey through Rhode Island. Diving into the mysteries of the Breakers Mansion, Colt State Park, and Belcourt Castle. These locations harbor unexplained phenomena and spectral apparitions that blur the line between the living and the dead. So buckle up, my friends, and let us venture into the shadows of Rhode Island's haunted history. Do you believe in ghosts? Join me on a journey through America's dark and haunted past as we explore the ghost stories and folklore that have been passed down for generations. What scares you? Let's find out. I'm Christopher Feinstein, and this is Haunted American History. As the sun sets, Breaker's Mansion casts shadows over Newport's gardens. The three-story summer palace buzzed with activity as servants prepared for the evening. Within the mansion's 70 rooms, whispers of intrigue and power filled every ornate detail. Alice Claypool Gwen, Vanderbilt's wife, presided gracefully, her seven children observing their parents' pursuit of prestige. To ensure maximum fireproofing, the Breaker's Mansion was constructed with a complete absence of wood in its support structure. Steel trusses bear the weight of the masonry and exterior Indiana limestone blocks, while the foundation boasts a combination of brick, concrete, and limestone. Limestone forms the very walls of the mansion, while the floors are consisting of marble and mosaic. The roof, adorned with terracotta red tile, adds to architectural splendor. Even the gates and fences surrounding this estate are wrought iron, adding an overall sense of grandeur. Designated as a National Historic Landmark, the Breaker's Mansion has retained its original splendor throughout the years. The elaborately decorated facades and interiors remain untouched since its completion in 1895, 
This is evident by photographs taken during its construction and interior shots captured in 1904. The original furniture and fixtures, including plasterwork, gilding, and decorative paintings have all been preserved from the time when Cornelius Vanderbilt II and his family resided within these hollowed holes. This magnificent behemoth not only astounded those living in its era, but continues to leave visitors in awe today. Every aspect of the Breaker's Mansion is constructed on a grand scale, from the absolutely massive common rooms featuring interior marble fountains and alabaster fireplaces to the resplendent gold-painted woodwork. The mansion is adorned with rare marble, beautiful alabaster, and other impressive artistic endeavors, showcasing the remarkable talents of European craftsmen. Every square foot of this architectural masterpiece is a sight to behold, evoking both astonishment and wonder. And that's just the inside. Now let me tell you about the back patio. Tiled with ceramics, offering breathtaking views of the ocean and a sprawling backyard, it even has a walkway that leads down to a dock and beachfront which adds to the allure of this beautiful summer retreat. In 1885, when Cornelius Vanderbilt II assumed the presidency of the New York Central Railroad system, he and his wife purchased a charming wooden house known as the Breakers at 44 Ochre Point Avenue. It was their summer home near the water and private beach. Tragedy struck in 1892 when the original wooden house succumbed to a devastating fire. Determined to create a larger and more magnificent mansion, Vanderbilt enlisted the services of architect Richard Morris Hunt in 1893. Inspired by 16th century palaces, Vanderbilt's vision for an Italian Renaissance-style palazzo materialized under Hunt's masterful guidance. With an international team of artisans and craftsmen at work, the Breaker's Mansion became a testament to architectural excellence. Assisting Hunt on this monumental project were Allard and Sons of Paris, who supplied the exquisite furnishings and fixtures. The intricate sculptures adorning the mansion were designed by American sculptor Carl Bitter. The family quarters on the second and third floors were beautifully decorated by Boston architect Ogden Codman. Cornelius Vanderbilt II, though a successful and hardworking individual in his own right, inherited a fortune of $75 million from his grandfather and father. This substantial wealth allowed him to finance not only the Breakers Mansion, but also their magnificent Fifth Avenue Mansion in New York City. Both Cornelius and his wife Alice were deeply involved in the church and dedicated themselves to living their faith through generous donations and active participation in charitable organizations such as the YMCA, Red Cross, Salvation Army, Trinity Church, and St. Bartholomew's Church. Despite his wealth, when Cornelius passed away in 1899 at the age of 55, he left no more than what he had inherited due to his family's endeavors. Tragedy struck the Vanderbilt family repeatedly as they endured the loss of five children. Their first child, Alice, succumbed to a childhood disease at the tender age of five. In 1892, their eldest son, William, full of promise, tragically died from typhoid fever while studying at Yale. Their second son, Cornelius III, was disinherited from marrying someone outside of the approved list. The emotional pain from these devastating losses may have contributed to Cornelius' stroke in 1896, marking the beginning of his decline. Tragic losses? He disowned his son. What do you mean? It's like, ah, oh, get out of here. Now I'm going to die from grief. G come on. Please. Stop it now. Further heartbreak, though, awaited Alice Vanderbilt and her family. 
The third son, Alfred, lost his life on the RMS Lusitania in 1915, when the British ocean liner was torpedoed by Germany off the coast of Ireland. Alfred selflessly gave his life jacket to a woman who couldn't swim, sacrificing himself to save her. His father would have been proud of Alfred's bravery, and his mother and family were devastated by his untimely death. Unless he married someone off the approved list, and then... Old alley boys gotta go. Nonsense. Every family has its black sheep. And Reginald, the fourth son, fit that description. I wonder if I fit that description. Hmm. I don't think so. I'm pretty, I'm pretty all right. Perhaps inspired by grief and bitterness, what is happening? Over the loss of his brothers and family, Reginald led a life of indulgence, squandering millions on gambling, wine, women, and song. That boy. However, he did leave a pub. So he did all of that. I wonder what kind of woman the, the, the oldest son married in order to get disinherited. This guy was a... Uh, I wonder if he got anything. Hmm. Let's find out. He did leave a positive legacy, though, through his two daughters. Of course, he would have two daughters. Guys like that always get blessed with daughters. I'm not saying that I was a guy like that, because I have a daughter, but most of the time. The biggest degenerates I know all have daughters now, and I just smile about it. Well, his two daughters were Catherine Vanderbilt and the renowned designer Gloria Vanderbilt. In some ways, he redeemed himself by being a devoted and good father. Good for him. But Reginald's life was cut short when he passed away at a young age in 1925. Alice Vanderbilt, unfortunately, outlived not only her husband, but also all five of her children. Wow, that's it. Four of her children met with untimely deaths, while one faced social disgrace and was lost to her. <laughs> I gotta know what happened. I gotta find who that wife was. It is a relief that Alice's youngest daughter, Gertrude, passed away eight years after her mother, sparing Alice from enduring yet another loss. The youngest child, Gladys, lived a long life and passed away in 1965, fortunate enough to have experienced the fullness of life. Upon Alice's death in 1934, the Breakers Mansion passed into the hands of the youngest daughter, Gladys. As a staunch supporter of the Preservation Society of Newport County, Gladys opened the mansion to public tours in 1948 to raise funds for the Society's restoration efforts. The Society dedicated itself to preserving and salvaging older mansions that had fallen out of favor with the wealthy elite, who now preferred building grand estates in Hollywood. Rather than sell the Breakers Mansion in 1972, Gladys and her heirs chose to entrust this magnificent property to the Preservation Society of Newport County. However, they stipulated that the family could still enjoy the bedrooms on the third floor privately. This arrangement not only ensured the preservation of this historic gem, but also protected it from falling into the hands of opportunistic developers. The Breakers Mansion now enjoys the protection of being designated a historical landmark. People who have experienced immense loss often seek solace in places that hold memories of happier times, providing comfort amid their grief. That's why my couch and a box of Oreos always sings comfort for me. Perhaps the Breakers Mansion was once I would haunt Nabisco if that was the case. Perhaps the Breakers Mansion was such a place for Alice Vanderbilt, where she could remain close to her youngest daughter and find solace in the memories of family and past events. It is likely that she takes great pleasure in seeing her beloved mansion cared for so meticulously, 
Though the mansion has been open for tours for many years, Alice probably welcomes the presence of visitors while ensuring her own privacy in the third floor reserved for family. The apparition of Alice Vanderbilt has been cited and identified by both staff and visitors, providing consistent descriptions of her likeness. While no paranormal investigations have ever been conducted due to the widespread recognition of her presence, reports of her sightings continue to affirm her enduring connection to the Breakers Mansion. The staff diligently carries out their duties under her watchful eye, and visitors are unknowingly accompanied by her unseen presence, perhaps adding an extra layer of enjoyment to their experience. Alice Vanderbilt's spirit remains intertwined with her cherished summer home, forever connected to the memories and events that unfolded within its walls. Hey, folks. Uh, real quick here, just wanted to stop and... Uh, let everybody know that the podcast can now be heard on YouTube. YouTube started incorporating podcasts, and I know a lot of people prefer YouTube to uh, consume their media, I guess. So, yeah. So, the podcast is now available on YouTube in its audio form, same way you listen to it on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to But it's now available on YouTube, and which means that I have to get my stuff together and start putting out my YouTube content video in video format as well. So uh, very soon that's going to come out. Um, shootings is something this week, and hopefully I can get something up there at least every two weeks. Trying for weekly, but at least every two weeks. So yeah, the link to my YouTube is in my show notes. And as always, thank you all so much. As twilight cloaked the historic town of Bristol, Colt State Park's mysterious silhouette emerged through the mist. The scent of ancient earth intertwined with the salty sea air, hinting at long-forgotten stories. A distant owl's call broke the silence, emphasizing the park's dual nature as both sanctuary for both living and departed souls. Visitors felt an eerie thrill as they ventured deeper, listening for whispers of unseen entities and reevaluating their skepticism in the face of growing intrigue. Once upon a time, Colt State Park was Samuel P. Colt's cherished farm, a testament to his passion for his land that he so passionately embraced. In 1905, he acquired this haven, nurturing it with devotion until his untimely demise in 1921. Yet even in death, Colt's unwavering desire to share this sanctuary with the public prevailed. His final will echoed his altruism, ensuring that his beloved farm would forever remain accessible to all those who sought solace within its embrace. The passage of time proved unkind to this cherished refuge. Vandalism stained its pristine canvas and trespassers encroached upon its hollowed boundaries. In a bid to preserve its sanctity, the state of Rhode Island intervened, redeeming Colt Farm from the clutches of decay in 1965. Three years later, under the watchful gaze of Rhode Island Governor John Chafee, the land was christened Colt State Park, a testament to both its storied past and promising future. Today, Colt State Park stands as an illustrious gem among Bristol's treasures, beckoning visitors with its beguiling allure. 
Meandering miles of scenic bike trails, one could bask in the breathtaking vistas of the bay, while immersing themselves in the rich tapestry of history that adorns the sacred land. Yet amidst the idyllic beauty and serenity that pervades every corner of the park, whispers of spectral tales emerge, their haunting melodies thick in the air. Legends speak of a tragic demise that befell a stable hand within the barn's time-worn walls, his spirit forever tethered to the grounds that he once cared for with unwavering dedication. Another sorrowful tale paints a somber tableau of two young sisters, their lives tragically snuffed out by the unforgiving waters that caressed the park shores during the 1970s. From time to time, as dusk settles upon Colt State Park, a tentative ear catches the faint giggles of two young girls emanating from the dense woods nearby. Some have been fortunate enough to glimpse their ethereal forms, frolicking amidst nature's embrace. Astonishment and disbelief intertwine as one visitor recounts an encounter with these spectral girls. Walking to his car, he found himself inexplicably drawn toward the path where the two little girls materialized before him, only to vanish in thin air as he neared them. Strange phenomena continued to confound park staff as lights flickered and doors mysteriously opened and shut, defying logical explanation. Haunted or not, Gold State Park remains an enigma, a realm where reality and the supernatural converge in a delicate dance. You all know my love for state parks. And I couldn't do the Rhode Island episode without mentioning Cold State. Just, even if there is just a limited amount of information and stories about it, I had to bring it up. Because it's an invitation to ponder the inexplicable and embrace the tantalizing possibility that perhaps there is more to this world than meets the eye. Hey folks, you guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion, it's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com haunted. That's masterclass.com haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com slash haunted. I'll see you there. In the heart of Newport, a grand summer villa reminiscent of Louis XIII's hunting lodges loomed over manicured grounds. 
Its 27,000 square foot expanse, a staggering $3.2 million investment, bore the finishing touches as the scent of fresh paint and timber lingered. This colossal home was Oliver Hazard Perry Belmont's vision come to life. The Naval Academy graduate and former New York congressman strode across the marble floor with anticipation. A haven for his coach horses, a sanctuary for his European collections, and above all, solace from loneliness after his failed marriage. To bring his vision to life, Belmont enlisted the talents of renowned architect Richard Morris Hunt, who was highly sought after by the elite residents of Newport's exclusive Bellevue Avenue. While Hunt may not have fully embraced Belmont's eccentric design ideas, he respected his client's wishes and crafted a summer villa that undoubtedly pleased Belmont upon its completion. Every aspect of the villa was executed on a grand scale. Hunt must have relished the opportunity to design a 50,000-square-foot castle-like structure, with four wings forming an expansive quadrangle centered around an impressive 80-by-40-foot courtyard. This layout allowed ample space to showcase Belmont's diverse interest and house his cherished stained glass pieces and other treasures. The South Wing connected the East and West Wings, while the two-story East and West Wings led to the three-story North Wing. This imposing section boasted two grand carriage entrances on either side of its front, allowing Belmont to drive his coaches directly into the mansion. The North Wing also housed his collection of coaches on the first floor. Although the original plans called for 60 rooms, the villa featured only one traditional bedroom and bath, with no guest rooms or kitchen. Belmont's reasoning was that he could only spend six weeks in the villa during the summer. Rendering additional rooms would be unnecessary. However, subsequent owners and residents found ways to adapt the 27,000 square foot space to suit their needs. Yeah, I would think so. 27,000 square foot, one bedroom house. Come on. Just sleeping on space there, Belmont. The second floor of the South Wing provided living quarters for 30 servants above the stable to accommodate the 30 horses on the first floor. Other areas, such as the West Wing near the master bedroom, were later renovated into bedrooms and baths as required. The architectural styles of the villa's wings varied with the North Wing showcasing French Renaissance design while the South and East and West Wings displayed half-timbered structures inspired by Norman, Elizabeth English, and country German styles. The attention to detail in both exterior and interior designs was exceptional, thanks to the skills of 300 European craftsmen who worked on the project. The breathtaking results can still be admired today. From the intricately carved French oak staircase that took three years to complete to the elaborate architectural and exquisite decor found throughout Belle Court. The oval dining room ceiling featured a sculpted depiction of Apollo driving the sun chariot through the sky. French emperor-style columns adorned the dining room, complemented by large mirrors and mirrored doors between them, an uncommon sight in that era. The dining room windows boasted mirrored shutters that could be raised fully to reveal a view of the ocean through three French doors covered by shutters. Notably, Thomas Edison himself installed indirect lighting in the dining room in 1894. Well, that's a flex. Belmont's Italian banquet hall could accommodate up to 250 guests at a time and featured 13th century stained glass windows depicting the 12 saints. Meanwhile, 
The French Gothic ballroom boasted an actual castle fireplace and 13th century stained glass. Walking into this grand space with a 35-foot width, 70-foot length, and 35-foot vaulted ceiling supported by steel beams was truly a breathtaking experience, even still today. An orchestra box on the second floor above the ballroom provided a stage for musicians to entertain guests during the numerous events held in this magnificent space. Love unexpectedly found Belmont once again when he met Alva Erxton Smith Vanderbilt. Ooh, that's a mouthful the wife of his best friend and business partner, William Vanderbilt. Oh, snake. William hosted Belmont's first major social event at Bell Court in 1895, introducing his unique summer villa to Newport's social scene. After Alva and William Vanderbilt arranged the marriage of their daughter, Consuelo Vanderbilt, to the ninth the Duke of Marlborough in 1896, Alva scandalously divorced her husband who had gifted her an $11 million mansion for her 39th birthday. Oliver and Alva were married later that year. Oliver and Alva joined a blissful 12 years together, experiencing a genuinely happy marriage. Sadly, Oliver Belmont passed away in New York in 1908 at the age of 49 due to septic poisoning caused by a burst appendix. New fear unlocked. Alva continued to reside at Belcourt and frequently traveled to Europe. She dedicated herself to charitable causes and actively supported the women's movement. Following Oliver's death, Alva made modifications to Belcourt Castle. She added a kitchen in the passageway from the stable to the courtyard, transformed the carriage room into a banquet hall, and converted a study into her own bedroom. Notably, she enlisted the help of Jack Russell Pope, to design the English Library edition. This extraordinary library featured a ceiling replica of Haddon Hall ceiling in England and showcased a Gothic style of wood carving known as linen fold, giving the oak paneling the appearance of folded cloth. The library also boasted four hidden doors, cleverly integrated into the design for added intrigue. All right, see that's my kind of touches, little hidden doors and things like that. Belcourt Castle passed on to Oliver's oldest brother, Perry Belmont, after Alva's death in Paris in 1933. In 1940, the castle was sold outside of the Belmont family to well-intentioned individuals whose plans were ultimately hindered by circumstance. Entrepreneur George Waterman had intended to transform Belcourt into an antique auto museum. As part of his agreement with Perry Belmont, Waterman committed to restoring the castle as faithfully as possible to its original vision conceived by Oliver Belmont and designed by Richard Morris Hunt. After paying Perry Belmont, Waterman repaired the third floor roof of the north wing and removed Alva's addition overlooking the courtyard. He converted the living space above the stables back into apartments. Unfortunately, the city officials deemed the antique auto museum incompatible with city zoning, forcing Waterman to sell Belcourt. In 1943. The subsequent owner, Edward Dunn, rented out the castle to the military after boarding up its windows following World War II. Over time, Belcourt Castle fell further into disrepair until the Tinney family purchased it in 1956. Harold B. Tinney, his wife Ruth Emily Betzer Tinney, their son Donald Harold Tinney, and Ruth's great aunt Nellie. Great aunt Nellie, wow, that's something you don't really hear a lot. That's like a, like one of those things from story. Hey, my great aunt Nellie came over. 
Well, these people had a great Aunt Nellie. Hmm, what do you know? Well, they saw potential in this dilapidated hunting lodge. They renamed it Belcourt Castle and embarked on an ambitious restoration project. The Tinneys lovingly restored the castle to its former glory, opening it up to the public for tours showcasing their vast collection of art, antiques, and European treasures from 30 countries. Throughout Belcourt Castle, visitors marveled at the Tinneys' extensive Persian rug collection, their French royal art and furnishings, oriental art and furnishings, and a multitude of religious artifacts, statues, and art. The castle's armor collection was a particular highlight. The Italian banquet hall featured an impressive Russian chandelier with 13,000 crystal prisms at its center, surrounded by eight smaller Czechoslovakian crystal chandeliers. Wow, that's got to be a sight. In 1975, the Tinnies transformed one of their reception rooms into a stunning chapel using their German Renaissance stained glass collection, adding a sacred ambiance to the altar and other religious artworks within. They also enclosed the front of the property with a Victorian cast iron gate purchased from a Taylor estate, increasing security and making it the tallest estate entrance gate in Newport. Belcourt Castle not only served as a museum, but also hosted various social events, such as weddings, concerts, and receptions on its first floor and in its gardens. The Tinney family embraced their role as artisans skilled in restoration and preservation, utilizing their expertise to maintain the castle's historic splendor. For over 50 years, Belcourt Castle was not just a summer residence, but a year-round family home and museum. To accommodate the growing number of visitors eager to tour the castle, the Tinney family began hiring additional staff to conduct weekend tours starting in 1959. It was during this time that Donald Tinney met Harley Hansen, a pre-med major who worked as a tour guide at Belcourt Castle. They fell in love and were married there on August 15, 1961. In 1969, the Tinney family established the Royal Arts Foundation with the aim of preserving lost arts and historic creative processes while showcasing exhibits from their extensive collections of superb craftsmanship and artistry. And aside for their love of art, the Tinney family had interest in other areas, paranormal. They also added a paranormal tour led by expert medium Virginia Smith to raise funds for Belmore Castle's preservation. The Tinneys had experienced paranormal activity within the castle for years, but only shared their experiences after Virginia Smith conducted research and provided evidence of the spirit's presence. Her tours included a slideshow featuring her paranormal findings. Harold and Ruth Tinney spent the rest of their lives at Belcourt Castle with Harold passing away in 1989 and Ruth in 1985. Donald and Harley Tinney took up the mantle, becoming hosts of this unique castle, hunting lodge, and museum. After Donald's death in 2006, Harley continued to reside at Belcourt Castle, offering museum and paranormal tours, while also opening the first floor to the public for social events. In November 2008, she held an auction to raise funds for much-needed repairs and ongoing maintenance. Numerous 20th century paintings, 19th century chairs, chandeliers, and other antiques collected by the Tinneys were sold. Although Harley put Belcourt Castle on the real estate market in 2009, she took her time to find the right buyer. Finally, in November of 2012, Carolyn Rothlian purchased the Belcourt Castle with plans to further renovate and restore it before opening it as a museum. 
Belcourt Castle's history and the circumstances surrounding its construction have led to lingering spiritual energy within its walls. Built over an old graveyard or battlefield, the castle inadvertently became home for entities from beyond. Additionally, spirits may have attached themselves to items that held significance during their lifetime. Virginia Smith identified 15 known spirits within Belcourt Castle. The most haunted room appears to be the French Gothic Ballroom, but numerous unidentified entities also roam its halls. The spirits include a monk that is attached to a German wooden carving, an angry knight tied to a 16th century Italian armor battlesuit in the French Gothic Ballroom, ladies in ball gowns resembling Ava Belmont and Ruth Tinney, two dancing girls in the same ballroom, a British soldier in dress uniform, a samurai warrior linked to Asian collection items, an older male entity believed to be buried under the banquet hall, the spirit of Donald Tinney, a female entity resembling a French queen, a mischievous entity in the English library, an entity in the maid's room on the third floor of the North Wing, and disembodied voices that both staff and visitor have heard throughout. Belcourt Castle's paranormal activity has been documented by numerous ghost hunters, including Jason and Grant from the popular show Ghost Hunters. In one episode that aired on the Sci-Fi Channel in April of 2009, they captured evidence such as footsteps approaching and retreating on a digital heat source. Despite the sale of many antiques and artworks, Belcourt Castle remains the site of paranormal interest. People have reported experiencing strange phenomena since the Tinnies brought their collection to the castle. Virginia Smith's slideshow and tours offered a glimpse into this otherworldly realm. Belcourt Castle stands as a testament to history, craftsmanship, and the enduring presence of spirits. It is located in Newport, Rhode Island, near the intersection of Lakeview Drive and Bellevue Avenue, affording breathtaking views of the Rhode Island Sound. So if you ever find yourself in the Rhode Island area, stop by Belcourt Castle and tell the Tinnies that old Chris sent you. And there you have it, friends. The haunting tales of the Breakers Mansion, Cold State Park, and Belcourt Castle. I hope you enjoyed this dive into the paranormal side of Rhode Island. And as always, if you have your own ghostly encounter or stories to share, reach out to me. Send me an email. Send me a voicemail. And if you're new, just like I said, people on YouTube are now discovering the show. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating, leave a review. Let me know your thoughts. Until next time, folks. May the spirits of the past be kind, and may you never walk alone. I'm Christopher Feinstein, and this is Haunted American History. 